Speaking of feelings, my feelings on any given day, Amanda, are all over the map. My feelings are all over the map. Jill can come up to me and say, I love you, Dad, and give me a big hug, and I feel happy, I feel encouraged, because I think maybe I'm a good dad. I must be a good dad. And then I can remember when my kids were little, and they would snipe at each other, and they would get into big arguments and fights, and I would feel anxious and discouraged because I would have the thought, I'm not a good parent, because they would be behaving if I was a good parent. Today, I want to remind you that feelings don't just happen, okay? They're often rooted in thoughts and beliefs. And some of these thoughts were planted in our minds uh, in our family of origin, right? So sometimes uh, I had a friend, Thomas, uh, his dad called him Thomas the Turtle because Thomas was always slow to tie his shoes and Thomas was always slow to do things. And Thomas, when he became a man, he would just do things slowly and you would ask him, Thomas, what's going on? And he would say out of his mouth, I'm just slow, right? He had internalized something he had gotten from his family of origin. Uh, even in children's movies, right? Uh, in the movie Despicable Me, there's this scene where uh, Gru has a series of flashbacks and he builds a rocket and he does all this amazing stuff and his mom just says, eh, every time he does something amazing, right? So uh, I didn't get my clicker today, Caleb. You'll have to follow along. Identity, by the way, next picture, identity has two parts to it, okay? Two parts, this sense of self and this sense of worth. And I'm teaching on identity because I want you and me, I want us together to have God tell us who we are I want our identity to be firmly rooted in Jesus and that Jesus will be and is enough, okay? And so this sense of self is this sense of you, the durable you between all the different roles and hats that you wear. So I'm a pastor, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a chamber commerce member, I'm a kayaker, I'm all these different things, but there's a max that's consistent throughout all those different roles. And then the other part of identity is this sense of worth, okay? And that's what makes you feel significant, what gives you confidence in your value. Today, I want to tell you that a Jesus-based, Jesus-infused identity will require you to confess and believe. And that's the next picture there, Caleb. A Jesus-based identity will require you to confess and believe, okay? And the first part is confessing things that are both untrue and true. Confession has to do with with our mouth speaking things that align with what is real and true. So when we confess our sins, for example, if I lied to someone and then two days later I say, I'm sorry, I lied, I'm now confessing the truth of what I did two days ago, okay? So uh, the first part of that is confession. And the second part is this believing, believing that Jesus is enough. Now, most of us don't stop long enough to figure out where our feelings are coming from. But again, often what we feel is because of what we think, okay? Let me give you some examples of this. A friend doesn't text us back. And so we feel anxious and we feel hurt. Oh, they didn't text back. Because we think, thought in our head, oh, they're intentionally ghosting us because they don't want to be our friend. And the thought produces these negative feelings that we have. <laughs> Our spouse mentions to us that the house is a mess. We feel shame and condemnation because we think they're telling us that we're a slob. Again, right, that's the thought that's producing the feelings, okay? 
uh, we show up to the first choir practice and we feel ignored and we feel sad because we think the choir members don't want us there, okay? On any given day, you and I feel all kinds of things. We can feel happy, sad, betrayed, frustrated, delighted, excited, scared, bored, but those feelings are not just random occurrences and they're often connected to thoughts. If you put up my triangle, so thoughts and beliefs can produce emotions and emotions can produce actions and behaviors and habits. This is why the Apostle Paul in much of the New Testament talks and challenges us to renew our minds, right? And Paul mentions making every thought captive to Christ. Paul talks about these things because he knows how this works with us human beings, okay? And we're going to get into a passage. In fact, Paul has some good advice for us. Uh, and it's found in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9. I'm going to walk you through these verses. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful neighbor, nature can never please God. But you, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Okay? So Paul's telling us what the Spirit does in this passage. He actually mentions the Spirit 21 different times. Okay? And the Spirit accomplishes the work of Christ in us now, in our bodies now, and in our resurrected life to come. So it's a now and later thing. And Paul is contrasting the work of the Spirit with the work of the flesh. Now, the flesh doesn't mean your body, your bones and body. The flesh, when Paul uses that word, he's talking about a power over you, okay? And so Paul is saying that those who are believers are under the power of the Spirit, but those who are unbelievers are under the power of this thing called the flesh, and it works against the ways of God, and it plays out in your thought life. So Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Again, believers are dominated by the Spirit, unbelievers are dominated by the flesh, and then he goes on, verse 6, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. In his letter to Galatians, Paul says that the Holy Spirit produces a kind of fruit in you. You know the song, the fruit of the Spirit is what? So when you see those things springing up in your life, that's an indicator that God's spirit is working in you and God is producing that in you. Now, if you have ongoing worry and anxiety and condemnation and self-loathing and that kind of stuff that leads to death, that's not God's spirit working on you in you. That's the flesh. That's what Paul calls the flesh working in your body. A good way to measure this out is a couple of questions. I will sometimes ask myself, Am I experiencing fear, anxiety, a desire for control, self-loathing, or condemnation? 
when I'm feeling those things, often it's because I'm having thoughts that don't align with who God says I am. I'm not trusting God, right? And again, hear me, I'm, I know that many of us can struggle with things like anxiety or whatnot. I'm not telling you like that's, you know, you're just being silly and sinful. But I want to recognize and I want to point out that there's this dynamic in play, okay? So when I'm experiencing those kind of things, that puts me on a path toward death, right? It's, you know, it's just languishing in my life. Jesus produces life and flourishing, okay? So the, am I experiencing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Okay? And then in verse 9, Paul says this, but you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you, okay? And he later goes on in this, uh, in this letter to the church in Rome, and he says, look, um, you need to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, okay? And so he's wanting us with our thinking and our thoughts to have thoughts that are God thoughts, Okay? Um, and I'm going to get into that in a bit, okay? So this isn't just a New Testament thing, by the way. This is an Old Testament thing. This is actually a thing. And so I want to get into uh, judges. So Paul tells us that there's spirit and flesh, and they produce different kinds of outcomes in our life. And in the book of Judges, we see a, something similar to that playing out. Now, the book of Judges... Um, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, the word judge really means leader. So it's like the book of leaders, okay? Um, and so the book of leaders, the book of judges, uh, follows the history of Israel as they're conquering this land that God had promised them. And they find themselves constantly under oppression from different groups of people, okay? And God chooses some leaders that in this book that he uses to help deliver his people from oppression. And one of these leaders is a man named Gideon. So I'm going to read this passage from uh, Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. <laughs> then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to the Joash of the clan of Abiazer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. And the Lord answered, I will stay here until you return. There's an amazing connection between this encounter with Gideon and the Lord in Judges chapter 6 and Moses with the Lord in Exodus chapter 3. And so I just wanted to put up this chart for you to see how eerily similar these things are, right? Have I not sent you in Judges chapter 6, and I will send you 
the Lord tells Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Gideon expresses this, in a sense, disbelief. My clan, my family is the weakest of all the clans of Israel. I'm the least. Moses says, who am I that I should bring the sons of Egypt, uh, the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Uh, In Judges chapter 6, God says, I will be with you. In Exodus chapter 3, God says, I will be with you. In Matthew chapter 28, God says, I will be with you. (laughs) In Judges chapter 6, all right, give me a sign. In Exodus chapter 4, God gives Moses a sign. And then in both cases, fire is this indication that God's presence has been there. What God sees and what God says to Gideon is mighty hero. But what Gideon believes, what Gideon thinks is, my clan is the weakest, I am the least. Who's right? Who's right? God or Gideon? Who's right? When when God sees Moses and God says to Moses, go to Egypt, and God gives Moses this command and this staff, and Moses is like, I'm not a good speaker, and I can't, like, who's right, God or Moses? Who's right? God. Okay, good. You're tracking. (laughs) God's right. For many of us, it's an issue of faith to believe that what God says is true, and particularly what God says about us now that we are in Christ Jesus. God says many things about those who are in Christ Jesus, loved, redeemed, treasured, forgiven, secure, like all of these words are used throughout the New Testament to describe those who are in Christ Jesus. So faith is believing what God says is true. Faith is living like what God says is true. Um, Jeff Vanderstelt, in a book that Brian Hall gave me recently, says he used to preach gospel truths to himself at the beginning of every morning. And he did this for many weeks and months so that he could, in a sense, get God's thoughts into his head. And so I want to share some of these truths with you, okay? Gospel truths. God is perfect. Jesus lived perfectly for me. He is my righteousness. God loves me. Jesus died for my sins, it should say. I am loved and forgiven. God is powerful and mighty. Jesus rose from the dead. I'm more than a conqueror in him. God is alive and present with me. He sent his spirit to be with me and in me. I'm not alone and I am not without the power to overcome. God is for me and not against me. These are powerful truths. These are right out of the pages of Scripture. Again, when I've push comes to shove in my life, there are all these things that I will feel and some things that I will think, and they won't always align with what God says. And in that moment, I'm faced with a choice. Do I believe what I'm feeling and thinking Or do I believe God? When I believe my feelings and thinking, I tend to languish. (laughs) It brings about bad stuff in my life. And when I believe God, it's like it leads to life and flourishing and freedom, all of the things that Jesus promised. It is the most amazing thing to me, okay? So again, who is right, God or Gideon? Who is right, God or Moses? This week... You're going to face some circumstances where you're thinking and feeling some things, 
And then there's going to be what God says. And I want to tell you now that in that moment, God's right. God's right. God's right. Okay? So let me ask a couple of questions in light of these passages. What direction do your thoughts normally take you? What direction do your thoughts normally take you? Okay? And then the second question is, what's going through your mind? What do you regularly hear spoken in your head? What are you believing about God, about his work in Jesus Christ, and about his work in others, yourself, and what you should do? So in order to make this as practical as possible, I have a couple of assignments. And the first one is simply this. When you, your feelings are out of sorts and your thoughts are doing the worm, 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 get out a piece of paper and write them down on a piece of paper. I want you to actually write them down on a piece of paper so that they can stare at you and you can see. Um, uh, years ago, I would complain to Jenny week after week, I'm not a good pastor. I would just say this. It would come out of my mouth because I felt it. Because I would, you know, when you're in the ministry, you're going to disappoint people. It happens, right? And so I would say this to myself regularly, you know, come out of my mouth. And it was like I believed it. And so I wrote it down on a piece of paper. And when I was staring at it, I was like, hmm, <laughs> right? I was confronted with it. So I want you to document what you're thinking and feeling by writing it down on a piece of paper. Um, stare at it. Sometimes as you're looking at what's on that piece of paper, you will laugh out loud because you will be like, well, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is so not true, right? But you might need help, and we're going to get to that in a second, okay? But I want you to document what you're thinking and feeling, and that's going to require the Christian practice of solitude. You have to be alone with your thoughts every now and then. Um, I can sometimes be alone with my thoughts for like eight hours at a time. That's a long time. For some of you that are extroverted and maybe you've, you know, you've got some other attention-focusing things, I want you to start with just five minutes. Just five minutes. Seriously, start with five minutes with nothing playing, no music, no earbuds, just five minutes to be alone with your thoughts and your feelings enough to write some things down on a piece of paper. Start there, start small, start simple, okay? Um, a 2013 Duke University study found that mice that, who were given two hours of silence a day saw significant growth in their brain's hippocampus, the part of your brain that has to do with learning and memory. Hmm, <laughs> hmm, okay? So, I want to say to you today that if you can worry, and many of us are really good worriers, you can meditate. It's the same practice, just focused on something different. It's the same practice focused on something different. It really is, right? And so when we're meditating, we're focusing on what God says rather than what we're thinking and feeling, okay? All right? So that's the first part. Document what you're thinking, and that's going to require some solitude. And the second part is share what you're thinking and feeling with others. That's the confession part. That's the speaking the truth part, okay? Um, pick a family member, a friend, a mentor who knows the Bible and who is actively walking with Jesus, okay? When you do that, you're going to find, one, you're not alone, and two, some of the things that you've been thinking and feeling are actually not true because they contradict what God says, and what God says is true, okay? 
And that's going to require this other word, community, okay? Number two, sharing what you're thinking with others requires community. Honest, appropriately vulnerable relationships with people you can trust, okay? That's transparency on your part. That means telling the truth, okay? And that's one of our values here. If you see on this wall over here, the person taking the mask off and throwing it in the trash can, don't fake it. This is a place where if you're struggling, if you, you know, whatever, don't say, I'm fine. You can say, I'm here, <laughs> okay? We would rather there be honesty. Again, confession has to do with speaking the truth and acknowledging what is true, okay? So that's transparency. And then the other part of that is accountability, meaning there are people who can call you out and confront you when you're not living or experiencing what you believe, okay? It's those two things together, all right? Which brings me to Jesus. If you'll put him up here, Caleb. Uh, Jesus said two things. In Matthew chapter 11, he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. In John chapter 14, Jesus tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. As I wrap this up, I want to challenge you with this simple thing. I'm not asking you to do a self-help thing. This is not about looking in the mirror and simply saying over and over again, I am good enough. I am smart enough. This is not self-help. This is believing God. So it's two things. It's confessing, acknowledging what's really true about our thoughts and beliefs, okay? Confession simply acknowledges what is. And then the second part is believing that Jesus is enough. Believing that Jesus is enough. Trusting him, not just for your salvation, but for your family, your finances, your relationships, your work, your future, for everything. Jesus is enough. He's enough. God sent his one and only son to live the life that we should live, died the death that we deserve. There's no clearest picture that God cares, God's involved, and God wants to make all things new.